episode of the Allure podcast is made possible by Ulta Beauty. Last year, Allure and Ulta Beauty launched See Yourself, See Each Other, a project that inspired honest conversations around inclusivity, identity, and representation in beauty. For our second edition, we're looking at acceptance through a more personal lens. We challenged celebrities, influencers, and editors to share their journeys from self-consciousness to self-acceptance in an effort to inspire people across the country to recognize the beauty in their own uniqueness. Learn more at allure.com forward slash see yourself, see each other. Hi, everyone. It's Michelle Lee, Editor-in-Chief of Allure, and today my guest is the wonderful Gemma Chan. Hi, Gemma. Hi. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. As I was telling you, our first guest on this podcast was Aquafina, and everyone who is kind of listening to these in order knows that I am such a huge fangirl of Crazy Rich Asians, and not just because I love it as a movie, but because of what it meant for the Asian community and also just for culture in general. So I'm, I'm super happy for you to be here and to talk oh, about that. Thank you for having me. Um, <laughs> but I also feel like, you know, knowing a bit about your background and everything, like you have so such an interesting background. And obviously you had success in acting before Crazy Rich Asians and you have some amazing things coming up. But I definitely want to delve into, you know, how you started, how you grew up. Where did you grow up? So I was born in London and I grew up in kind of suburban London in Kent, which is kind of southeast of London. So I kind of had countryside on one side, the city on the other. And yeah, kind of a very, very suburban environment. What is your ethnicity? I am Chinese. Mm -hmm. My mum was born in China and she grew up in Scotland. And my dad was born in Macau. He grew up in Hong Kong. Then he he had a kind of crazy life before he he settled down and, and had kids and married my mum. But he ended up going to college in Scotland where he met my mum. And then they moved down to London and had my sister and I. So oh. yeah, it's Chinese both sides. Do you feel like growing up, did you have an either traditional British upbringing or do you feel like you had a traditional Asian upbringing or was it a mix of everything? I think it was a real mix. I mean, I definitely feel very English, very British, but also there were elements of my upbringing that were very, very Chinese as well. You know, my mum and dad, they spoke both Cantonese and English to me at home until I was three years old. And then they decided to only speak English to me. So my Cantonese has developed, well, it basically stunted its development at the age of like a three-year-old. <laughs> so I've got really very <laughs> basic childish uh, Cantonese. But yeah, I, I went to a Chinese school when I was younger. My mom, I didn't want to go, but my mum and dad made me go every Sunday to learn how to write. Do you still remember how to write? I remember like the odd, I can write my name, my Chinese name. I can write tree, uh, I think. <laughs> um, but it's quite hard if you don't use it all the time. It's, it's, it's very difficult to kind of retain it. But yeah, I've, I've kind of, I've, I definitely feel like I've grown up between worlds really. And, and it's taken me some time to kind of feel, you know, completely at ease with that. I feel like I embrace that now. I very much um, want to explore it since it, Basically, since I've come out of my teenage years, I, I'm really interested in exploring my kind of my cultural heritage. And and I really feel it, what's happening in the world is really exciting now. I feel that we really can embrace the fact, you know, all of us who are living in the, the Asian diaspora, we can embrace being American and British, but also our, you know, our Asian roots. Yeah. Growing up, was the area that you were in quite diverse or did you feel like... No, not diverse really at all. I think there were just a handful of kids in my school, I think. Yeah, I can't really. Yeah, the way that we had a, in my primary school class, I was the only Asian and we had one black boy in my class and, and that was it. So I, I grew up in a very white environment, actually. Yeah, so, same with me. And Where I else did that, you grow up? So I grew up in Connecticut. 
So I was in Connecticut until I was 16 and super not diverse area. And I always talk about now how that affected me today, not only just Mm. as a person, but also as an editor. That like, I feel Mm. like because I grew up without diversity and I always felt like the quote unquote other, like Mm -hmm. I think that now that I'm in a position and I have a platform, I feel like it's been really important for me to be able to present other people's stories and stuff who have been underrepresented. How -hmm. do you think like growing up in like a not diverse area, how do you think that that's affected you? Well, I think initially, as you say, when you're when you're little, I won't speak for everyone else, but when I was younger, you know, you just you just want to fit in. So actually feeling different makes you feel a bit awkward. I felt a little bit self-conscious at times, you know, had a few occasions, which, you know, it happens with kids where kids made fun of, you know, my Asian features and my eyes, you know, that, that's what kids do. And I remember just just wishing, wishing I wasn't different. And because I didn't feel different, really, but I, I but other people occasionally treated me, you know, that it became obvious that I, I wasn't I wasn't white. But I suppose now I've realized that actually what makes you different can be your strength. And also, as you say, like with you, I now feel aware of my platform. And I think it's so it's so important that we we use it in a way to actually allow people that haven't been represented uh, very well or they've been sidelined or ignored in the past that we now, yeah, have the door open and and embrace all of us because we're all humans. It's funny, we were talking about this before you guys got here about, I think in this country, we tend to be so American-centric that even when mm. we were talking about Crazy Rich Asians, like a lot of people were like, oh, because it's the first Asian-American movie, right? And like people mm. kind of kept phrasing it that way. But then I was like, but wait, you guys are, are Asian-British. And like, there are so uh, many Asian different- Asian-Australian. Asian-Australian, exactly. Malaysian-Asians. <laughs> as, as you've traveled the world and also like promoting the movie, like how- it's such like a weird question, but like, how do you think growing up as British Asian versus Asian American, like, what are those differences that you've been seeing? Well, I'll start with the similarities, actually, because when I when I arrived on set, I felt that immediately I had a connection with everyone in the cast. So obviously, the Asian Americans, the Australian Asians, Ronnie Chen grew up in uh, Malaysia. I felt there was this instant, we, we all just got it. We had a shorthand immediately. Yeah, I, I feel that we've all had, to a certain extent, similar experiences and to varying degrees. And and that's been great. But I think that, that, yeah, we have a lot in common with each other. Yeah. So as I was reading about your background, I feel like you have so many interesting things in your background. You were a violinist. You were a nationally ranked swimmer, correct? Oh, gosh. <laughs> this is a long, long time ago. <laughs> Um, like back in your childhood, like when you think about when you were in grade school or middle school, what did you want to be when you grew up? Gosh, I, there's so many things I wanted to do. Um, I wanted to I wanted to work with dolphins. I wanted to be a marine biologist at one point a dog walker at one point, an astrophysicist. Whoa. Um, I love When I was a kid, I don't think I knew what that was. <laughs> oh, God, let's show my geeky side. But no, I love, I still do really love uh, cosmology and, and all of that stuff. I think it's, it gives you a kind of perspective on, on our place in the universe. I realized quite quickly, I, I did physics for A-level at school and I realized I wasn't quite clever enough to do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, yeah, an astronaut, I wanted, to, I wanted to go work for NASA. So there's so many different things. And I suppose actually, in many ways, I, I liked the idea of playing all these different roles or living these different lives, um, which I kind of get to do to a little extent in my acting career, which, yeah. is, which is nice. That's so fun. So we talked a little bit about like the lack of diversity where you grew up. I mean, you are gorgeous, obviously. At what point did you feel beautiful? Was there a point in time where you either didn't feel beautiful or like, at at what point did that start for you? Oh, thank you. I guess it was during, I had very awkward teenage years. The years between being a child when you're quite cute, which I think is the same for everyone, and then (laughs) to actually being, you know, looking a bit more adult. I mean, 
yeah and also the time I grew up I mean the fashions were I mean I mean I look back now and I had a lot of fun like Mickey Mouse kind of cycling shorts neon um all of that do you think of yourself as a child of the 90s yeah okay yeah yeah Yeah, yeah, like it's so funny because I grew up and like I technically was a child in the 80s but I think I identify more with the 90s because those were like my formative years yeah and like I don't know I kind of miss some of those styles like I feel like now (laughs) it's it's back (laughs) now it's coming back like I think people are doing like the lip liner and like the brown lipstick again Mm -hmm. and like I honestly, Thin I did. Brows may I, the, well, maybe we'll I see. Don't, I, I don't want to overpluck my brows again. Like I should have listened to my mum the first time. She's like, I did. Don't overpluck your brows. <laughs> when you were in middle school or high school, were you experimenting with your look already? Like, were you getting into grunge? Were you? I tried a bit of everything, as you do do when you're a teenager, and you haven't quite found. You don't know what your style is yet. I remember hanging out with kids who were a bit older than me from my swimming club and feeling. I definitely didn't feel. Like I was a, attractive, attractive, not attractive to the to, to the opposite sex in any way. I suppose I started to feel more comfortable in my own skin kind of through my, my university years. And then, yeah, it's, I think it's a gradual, gradual process of just learning to accept yourself and then learning to work with what you've got. And then, yeah, and then also just not worrying too much about your appearance. I think... I, I love beauty. I love products. I love fashion, and it's it's all great fun. But I think, you know, I I also think what's looking after what's on the inside is as important, and they should kind of go hand hand in hand. Yep, um, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Thinking back about your childhood, what was one of your earliest memories of beauty? Like, was your mom really into makeup and skincare? Did you dive into like your grandma's stuff? Like, what what were your memories of beauty back then? My first memories of beauty. Well, my my mum had a really great '80s perm. A various different types. So she had that whole kind of poodle perm. And then when it was like the kind of Princess Di years, she had that short uh, Princess Diana <laughs> cut. Yeah, she actually, you know what? She she had some she had some really strong looks. When I look back at pictures, she was she was rocking those looks. Um, <laughs> yeah, the kind of glossy red lipstick she did and the blue eyeshadow. And yeah, I mean, she's she's gorgeous, my mom. She's yeah, she's she's a strong. Yeah, she's one of my role models. Oh, that's awesome. Is she, is your mom one of like the Asian ladies who you feel like never ages? <laughs> yeah, no, totally. People think we're people think we're sisters when, yeah, we're, so, when we're same out with my together. mom too. I'm like, I feel like it's good to look forward and to look at like my mom and my grandmother and I'm like, we've got like we're, really good genes. Yeah. <laughs> Asian don't Asian don't raisin. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what was your idea of beauty when you were growing up? Like I think that again, like me thinking about the eighties and nineties, I feel like it was TV and watching like Beverly Hills nine oh two one oh and looking at supermodels like there was Kate Moss and Cindy Crawford what were your images of of what you thought were beautiful back then I guess it was quite a narrow view and it was a very kind of amazonian you know very white very classically that kind of supermodel beauty is what I grew up looking at those are the advertisements that I grew up being surrounded by so you had to be you know it was kind of perfection um, was was what was really being kind of sold yeah, definitely. When was the first time you saw yourself reflected back? Not you literally, but like, was there an Asian woman who was represented on TV or in a movie or in an advertisement that you saw that you were like, oh, finally. I remember always being, I would really notice when I saw someone Asian in, in, in an advert or an Asian model. It really stood out to me. Like I remember I would watch, I remember watching Ali McBeal and Lucy Liu and just being like, she's incredible. And just you hold on to those those people because they see it. There were so few and far yep. between. Michelle Yeoh, obviously, yeah. the wonderful oh, Michelle Yeoh. I watched watched her movies. I guess they were few and far between. And also I suppose you always there was an element of, is this just is it a token kind of Asian person? I don't know. I feel like it's really only very recently that we've we've kind of properly feel like we've we've arrived and we are here. We're seen and accepted in a way that we haven't been before. It, it feels like, and it's it's really just in the last 
couple of years. Yeah, I agree. Do you feel that way? It's a little crazy because I definitely in the past even six months have had so many conversations about Lucy Liu, who I feel like we need to get her on this podcast too because she is like this pivotal person. And when I think back about the past even 20 years, I can maybe only think of a handful of prominent Asians who I can remember on screen. Yeah. Yeah. And then now within the past year, year and a half or so, there's so many. Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's amazing. I feel like even though they may have been, you know, doing incredible work on whether it's a TV show or in a film, they weren't given the kind of um, platform or exposure to push them to that level in the same way that their counterparts, their 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 non personal color counterparts had. So you know whether that's magazine covers or, or whatever it is or, or campaigns, I just think, yeah, I, I feel like we're moving in the right direction. Now, Absolutely. Well, is, I think back in the day, it used to all be about like martial arts movies, yes. right? So it was like Crouching yeah. Tiger, and that was sort of like the gateway. And then yeah. now we're in this awesome place of where you can have Asian actors being like anything. After the break, we'll talk about Gemma's early career, her success, representation in the industry, and of course, beauty. You all know I love Ulta Beauty. For one, I think we have a lot in common as brands, since we both celebrate the beauty in every person and believe beauty is limitless. I live in the suburbs, so I love going to the stores out there, which are enormous. You can find almost anything in makeup, fragrance, hair care, and skincare. They have over 20,000 products. And have you been to the one in Manhattan? Oh my God, it is amazing. It's just light and bright and has such a good fun vibe because Ulta Beauty knows you aren't there to get beautiful. You're there because you already are. Visit Ulta.com to learn more and find a store near you. Ulta Beauty, the possibilities are beautiful. Welcome back to the Allure Podcast. Our conversation with Gemma Chan continues. So I want to go back actually a couple of years too about you going to law school. So going back there, like, You know, you were talking about being an astrophysicist. You were talking about, like, you know, working with dolphins. What led you to want to study law? Well, to a certain extent, my parents had the thing of, you know, the proper jobs are doctor, lawyer, accountant. <laughs> um, but I, look, I, I was interested in law and um, and I thought, why not? You know, people people need lawyers. And then so I went and I did my degree and I, I did enjoy the academic challenge of it. There were certain areas of law that I was more interested in than others. I quickly realized I wasn't that interested in the kind of corporate law world, which is where I had a job lined up. But, you know, I'm still really interested. I'm still interested in human rights law, public international law. Um, it's it's a really tough field. Yeah. And criminal law I really liked as well. But I, I kind of felt that I did, <laughs> didn't want to have the responsibility of someone else's freedom or not on my my shoulders. <laughs> like if I'm on stage and I muck up a line, the worst that's going to happen is, yeah, I might get a bad review or whatever. But if I'm in court and you're standing up doing a speech and you, you mess it up, that's, that's someone's, that, <laughs> you know, someone's going to be incarcerated or not. So I was just like, oh my God, I can't deal with that. So, Yeah. At what point did you realize you didn't want to do that? I think I knew fairly early on. Probably my first year, I just thought, I'm enjoying studying it, but I don't think I want to practice. And did you finish law school? I finished. So we study law as an undergraduate. So I I studied it from 18 to 21. So I did a three-year law degree. And I did finish. And then at what point did you tell your parents, I'm not going to do this? I only told my mom and dad that I wasn't going to take up the job at the law firm when I'd already secretly applied to drama school and got into drama center. Yeah. So I sat them down. I said, I'm not going to, sorry guys, I'm not going to become a lawyer. I'm, I'm going to train to be an actress. And it, and it went down about as well as you <laughs> might imagine. So terribly. Yeah. they were. You know what? I, I completely understand why they were fearful and upset because, you know, I don't come from a, a showbiz family. We have no connections to anyone in the business. They knew that they wouldn't be able to help me. 
yeah, they were worried. And, you know, my dad said to me, it, it doesn't matter how good you are, how talented you are, you're not going to find enough work. And that's really like, you know, I've been, I finished drama school 10 years ago now, so I've been working for 10 years. But but back then, you know, there, there really weren't that many Asian faces on stage or screen in the UK. Yeah. Do you think it's been more recently or was it only the first couple of years? Like at what point do you think that his mind started to change about things? I think after, I remember right at the beginning, touch wood, I, I, I did, I was very fortunate that I started to work. I did like every job going, like, you know, one line parts, whatever. I was just, I just want to get as much experience as I can. Every time I get a job and I'd be on the job, my dad would, I'd speak to, I'd go home to see my mum and dad and they'd be like, so what's next? What's next? Which is like the, the worst thing that an actor wants to hear. It's like, <laughs> I haven't even finished this job yet, mom. I don't know what I'm going to be doing next. Um, but I think it was maybe after like, four or five years that that kind of anxiety of like worrying about whether I had a job lined up next that whole being self-employed thing that they're they're pretty chilled about it now yeah that's well they must be be so proud now yeah they are they're incredibly proud they um you know my mum and dad I took them to the London premiere of uh, of Crazy Rich Asians and they were so 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 proud and I spoke to my mum just after the film finished and she was really you know she was in tears she was really emotional and she said um Gemma I, I heard you know, early on in the soundtrack, there was a song that they play in it, which I haven't heard since my childhood. And it's a song, it's an old Chinese folk song that my mum used to sing, well, her mum used to sing to her dad. And they're long, long passed away now. And she said she never, never expected to hear that in in a mainstream Hollywood film. So yeah, that's, that's what it means to people. That's what it's meant to so many people that I've spoken to, that they feel, they feel seen. That's the the power of representation. Yeah. Did you, um, when you were first starting out, could you ever have imagined this happening now? Like you being in this particular place, did you have, like when you first started out, did you have like really big aspirations? Like what were your thoughts back then? I just hoped that I'd be able to, to um, pay my bills and just keep working because I thought I can't <laughs> I can't go back to have to you know live with my mum and dad and be like oh god I just you know at the beginning of, of my acting career I was so worried that I, I did ev- I did loads of jobs on the side as well I worked in a pub I stocked shelves in, in boots I worked as a lifeguard um, when I was a student like I've always done loads of other random jobs on the side like and I suppose that's something I'm really lucky I got from my parents is that work ethic of don't don't ever expect that you're going to be given things you're going to have to work really 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 hard yeah Okay, so flash forward, you get the phone call or you get an email or whatever from your agent about Crazy Rich Asians. Can -hmm. you kind of walk us through that moment? Like, you know, uh, give us, I guess, a little bit of a background of what you had been doing at the time and like this falls in your lap. Was it a long audition process? Was it something where you just met with them and they were like, she's it? Like, how did this all come about? Well, I was in London and I got call from agents oh I think I got an email from agents saying oh they've started auditioning for holding auditions for crazy rich agents are you interested in going up for it um, they'd love to see you and and it was actually a really straightforward process I went on tape in London tape got sent off into the ether and you never know if you're going to hear anything back or not and then we heard quite quickly that um, that that John liked the tape and Nina the producer liked the tape and and then I, I flew out to LA and I met them and then they offered me the part. It was one of the most straightforward castings I think I've ever had. Like usually you have to jump through so many hoops and do multiple, multiple rounds. But, um, but yeah, I think it was just synergy from as soon as we met, really. That's yeah. amazing. Wow. Well, yeah. I feel like you play, I mean, that role of Astrid, like I feel like you have this like regal like air about you. Do you feel like 
Like, where does that come from? <laughs> like, I feel oh like you are, you come across I, as so sophisticated and so, <laughs> like, like I said, the, the word to me that comes up is regal. Like, is oh, that something thanks. that you feel like you, you know, can just, like, tap into really easily? I feel like I can, I can put that on when <laughs> needs be, but I promise you I'm definitely not that put together all the time. <laughs> I don't know. I felt well. I spoke to Kevin Kwan about that, and, and Astrid is she is kind of meant to be that the equivalent of royalty yep. in Singapore. So, you know, I tried to channel that kind of old school glamour, kind of an Audrey Hepburnish, Grace Kelly, that kind of vibe. Did my best. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess uh, it's just it's, it's one facet of what I can tap into. But um, I'm definitely not me as Gemma. I'm I'm much more chaotic than people would believe. I think I'm just quite good at kind of faking. <laughs> Faking being put together, there's there's a whole kind of, yeah, chaos. Chaos underneath. That's that's your job. And I will say, I mean, when you said the Audrey Hepburn thing, like the the wardrobe, (gasps) like your wardrobe specifically in that movie is so amazing. Were you able to keep anything? Hell no. No. (laughs) It was like being Cinderella. I had to give everything straight back. But you know what? It was, it was, I felt so lucky to even be wearing some of those outfits. And yeah, it was, it was great. Well, I feel like the other thing too, that when I think about you during the promo for that movie, it -hmm. was really meaningful to me. And I feel like meaningful to a lot of other people who I've talked to. The fact that during the promotion, you wore either all or mostly Asian designers. Like to me, that is something that it's so meaningful because it's one thing to be a face on the screen, but mm-hmm. it's another thing to then make opportunities for other people and to do things that are just, again, behind, not not even behind the scenes because obviously you were still in front of the camera, but like, can you walk us through the thought process behind that and and what that meant to you? Mm. I remember before we were we were starting to plan the outfits for the tour and I didn't have that much time to to get things ready and I was talking to my stylist and, you know, you know you're going to have to put together this many looks and we said, why don't we use it? as an opportunity to tell a bit of a story, to be a bit educational and to, as you say, lift, give others a bit of a lift. And then around that time as well, I know you guys hosted, you know, you had this screening um, from everyone kind of who, who was Asian in fashion in New York. You had that wonderful screening, which you had, and you showed such support for us. And I remember, you know, seeing that and seeing the pictures from it and being so moved. I thought, I just, I want to give something back. And then from then on, I just, I knew what I wanted to do. And, oh, that and, makes me so happy. And then, yeah, and then, honestly, but it was, it was you guys. I, I was so grateful to the support from so many other areas. And, you know, it really felt like the first time that our community really came together in a way that we haven't done before or haven't had the opportunity to before. And there was so much love. And yeah, it was just a small thing that I could do to, to give back. And yeah, my, my stylist, Rebecca Corbin-Murray, she did an amazing job. She managed to, to kind of put it all together really quickly and yeah, I'm 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 thrilled. I'm thrilled that we were able to do that. Yeah. Well, I think luckily also like there's so many good Asian designers. Well, yes, exactly. <laughs> there is so so much talent. So it wasn't yeah, in that sense it wasn't hard to to find wonderful things to wear. So okay, because this is the Allure podcast, we definitely want to talk about beauty. You mentioned before like loving beauty. If you had just like I guess a sentence or two to tell me about your philosophy about beauty. Like what is it? Do you consider yourself to be high maintenance, low maintenance? Like how how do you feel about beauty as a whole? I think I have a a quite holistic kind of approach to it all, which is that I think you should take care of yourself on the inside, but also take care of yourself on the outside and they will feed each other. My my kind of ritual, my beauty ritual is something that I find very calming. It can definitely give you a lift if you're feeling a bit tired or you're feeling a bit down. You can kind of go through your steps and it's it's kind of quite meditative, yeah. really. I don't know if you... Okay, what is it? <laughs> I want to know and I want to copy you know it. Oh no, I, I, I don't know if it's that complicated, really. Well, I use wipes. 
<laughs> like um, makeup remover wipes? Yeah. yeah. So Which I ones? use simple micellar wipes and they are so good. They take off my waterproof mascara, textured on one side so you can really kind of work it in. And I use like two of them. So the first one like gets it off and then the second one kind of really cleans the skin. And then if I really feel I need, I sometimes use a, a micellar water toner as well to really cleanse the skin. And that that kind of does me. So that'll be nighttime because that's, that's when nighttime. you're removing makeup. Yes. But I also do the micellar water toner in the morning mm-hmm. as well. And then I use the Boots uh, number 7 Protect and Perfect range, mm-hmm. which I really love. I use their serum, their eye cream, and their night and day cream as well. Um, and then makeup-wise, on a day where you're not working, mm-hmm. are you someone who, if you're going to the store or something, do you always wear makeup? Like, what's your makeup situation on just like a normal day, like a hangout day? A hangout day, I'm pretty kind of laid back about it like I I will sometimes well, it depends on the state of my skin as well like if I'm feeling like really quite I've had a few like late nights or whatever I might want to put on a bit of concealer and a little bit of base I'll also I like going makeup free some days as well giving my skin a break because um, I have to wear so much for work good to have those days where you don't wear anything do you feel like you're good at doing your own makeup and at what point did you learn how to do because I, I feel like on Asian eyes specifically it's, it's so always specific, like a, it's isn't so it? specific yeah and I've come across different like makeup artists and stuff like through the years where they have no clue how yeah. to do my eyes oh my gosh no no tell me about it there are early shoots that I did where I was like oh hey there geisha like you've wow you've really you've really uh, you've gone there um <laughs> but you know I feel like more there are I've worked with so many brilliant makeup artists now who do know how to work you know Asian features but I, I had to learn very quickly early on what what worked for my eye shaped and what what didn't and often you know there weren't really tips in magazines or tutorials back when I was growing up like it was very much experimentation watching what my mum did and then just trying it out for myself yeah Um, well because you have a crease I do have a crease yeah I do have a crease but I have very straight very fine eyelashes that kind of go down can I tell you it made me so happy because you did an interview with Jessica Chia for Allure (gasps) I did and you mentioned Maybelline the Falsies mascara it is the one that I love too and I haven't heard of anyone else who fully gets it and when I saw that I was like Wait, she knows. <laughs> I'm wearing it now. It's, it's the amazing. best formula and it holds the curl. So I use eyelash curlers. Do you have like lash extensions? I have a few individual clusters. I was going to say because your lashes in, are filling really in long. the gaps, but just like a couple in the middle. Um, um, but the rest is just the, just mascara. But um, I do use, I mentioned that in the interview I did with Jessica, that I use an old brush from an old Maybelline Definer Lash Mascara, which is a different brush to the one you get with Maybelline The Falsies, which is more of like a scooping brush, which yep. I find puts too much on at once. Whereas the the Definer Lash Brush just puts the right amount on and you can kind of coat your oh lashes. And then they stay. I love And this they hack. really, oh, the waterproof formula though. It has to be waterproof. It has to be waterproof. Yes, yes. Otherwise, you, you get the, you get the lash. the only person uh, I've ever met down. who fully gets that. <laughs> it's so, <laughs> <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's it's my thing. Like when I, when I, when I want to, I suppose I feel really like if I'm going to go out and like be out, out like mascara is the thing. Because without mascara, I look like I haven't got any lashes. Yes. I'm, I, my lashes same. may as well be blonde. Same. I'm going to send you another one too. So there's another one that I use. That that one I love that for sure is like a holy grail item. Lancome Monsieur Big, also oh. waterproof. Oh, I haven't it's used It's another that. one that is actually like a little bit more dramatic too. So on days that like it also holds a curl really nicely to kind of alternate like maybe even for nighttime, like using that one where you want a little bit more drama. It's so good. Oh, it's really okay. Good. I look forward to trying that. Okay. So hair care. So yes. um, what's your hair routine like? How do you think about your hair? I mean, my hair has to go through the ringer. I mean, it's been, it's it's good. It behaves. It does what it's told. I have a lot of hair and it's really strong. It's really strong. If I don't do anything with it and just blow dry it with that product, it's super slippery. Um, Is your hair naturally very straight or do you have a little? It's naturally dead straight. But usually I kind of, I put in a bit of texture when I blow dry it. Because if I leave it completely straight, it can go, it can look very flat and greasy 
quickly. Have you ever been like really adventurous with your hair before, either color-wise or cut? Like when I was in college, I had a whole, this is my worst haircut ever. I had a pixie, which you <gasps> oh can imagine goodness. like with my hair texture, it was like, you know when you say Asian babies and they have this like <laughs> the hair that goes straight up? It was like that. Oh, bless. Have you ever had either a bad haircut or like were you adventurous with your hair? Well, way back to childhood, my mum used to cut my hair. And I feel like this is something that all Asian babies go through. You have the Asian bowl cut. I yes. mean, both my sister and I, there are pictures of us where we both, it's like she literally put a bowl yep. and then just trimmed around it. And so I had that for quite a few years. And then I grew my hair long. And then in my, te- oh, I had a bob in my teenage years. I had an asymmetric bob at one point, which made me cry when I asked for it. And then I was just like, this is not a good look. <laughs> um, I had a, had bangs, a fringe. I think I've had, had a fringe twice. I think it's maybe it's not the most flattering thing for me. Although I have tried clipping clip fringes too. now, which I do really like. Yeah, clip-ins are great. Yeah. Because then you get the fullness and it stays in a better than my actual, if I, if I cut bangs, I think it would be really high maintenance. Totally. But um Colorwise, I've kind of stayed. I've worn lots of wigs for work. Like I did a job called Secret Diary of a Cool Girl. Uh, it's probably about oh, seven the Billy or Piper seven. Show. Yes, yes, I think yeah. it's quite a long time ago now. Like maybe seven or eight years ago. And in every scene, I had different hair and makeup. Um, so I was playing a dominatrix, and so I had I wore a purple wig at one point. Yeah, I, I had all kinds of all kinds of hairstyles. Do you so enjoy been, that type of thing? Like, do you enjoy the hair and makeup aspect to things, but also like red carpet? Like, do you like getting dressed up? I, well, in terms of my work, in terms of my acting, it's an intrinsic part of, you know, getting into character. And whether it's just, you know, it's a particular thing, a particular way your hair is styled, having my hair up when I was playing Astrid, that kind of, you say that kind of, it immediately, it changes your your posture and your, the feeling of having your neck exposed. And yeah, it's, it's a big part for me for, of getting into character. Um, in terms of like the red carpet stuff, I've learned to I- embrace it. I mean, it is still, it can still feel really overwhelming. And, you know, if you're putting yourself out there and people are going to be immediately kind of judging every single thing about your, your, your choice of clothes, your, your beauty choices so if you just try not to think about that too much you know put together a look that you you feel comfortable in that you love and then just just go out there and and breathe um I'm still I'm still kind of yeah well I feel like you've been you've been nailing it I loved your globes look (gasps) and I feel like all the headlines were like that you totally pulled off shorts on the red carpet which is like amazing and I will say like I looking back at the past like 10 20 years of red carpet like I actually miss people taking risks sometimes you know what I mean mm. so like I, I definitely appreciated that and plus it was just like a stunning like oh. color the whole look everything oh, was amazing thank you I don't think I'll ever wear such a cool thing ever again <laughs> like yeah it had shorts it had a, you know huge train and it had pockets as well it was just it was like I mean m- all my dreams all my I dreams came true I feel like that, any ball gown. like any gown with pockets is the dream <sighs> yeah no, it was it was amazing. Valentino uh, made the gown. And, yeah, Pier Paolo is a genius. So amazing. I was very, very lucky to get to wear that. Talking about beauty again with skincare, do you mm. worry about aging at all? Like, is that something that you look into the future and do you worry about wrinkles? Like, how, what's your view on aging? Ideally, I'd love to be able to, to age in a way where, you know, gracefully, actually. I, I, I don't want to feel scared of it. I want to, you know, I feel that now, actually, I love opening a magazine and seeing women, older models in editorials, um, seeing some wrinkles, seeing gray hair, seeing that being embraced as something natural and beautiful. And I think the more we see those images and we have them put in front of us, we will start to expand our idea of what beauty is. Um, And that goes the same for ethnicity, um, size. And I really, I love this new movement. I love everything you've done in your magazine in terms of trying to, to change our idea and our, con- our our perception of what beautiful is. And actually, 
in the process liberating women from the, the ridiculous narrow standards that we have held our, or you know had had to hold ourselves to for such a long time and 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 why not I I, I just think it's it's so great what we're doing we're going in the right direction yeah. and yeah of course I think going going old is is a privilege actually and it's 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 natural yeah don't get me wrong I'm sure you know when the first real wrinkles come then I'll probably freak out like <laughs> the same as anyone else but I, I want to be able to to enjoy it and every every wrinkle every everything on your face is an, an embodiment and an expression of the life that you've lived yeah. um, and the more you laugh yeah the more wrinkles you have so yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's such a good way of looking at it okay so broadening beyond just beauty where do you see yourself 10 years from now I, you know, I, th- I think I have a real problem with seeing, <laughs> visualizing myself in the future. I always have done, like when people have asked me similar things before, like, where do you see, I can't even picture where I'm going to be in five years time. Like, I hope, I hope to still be here, to be healthy, to be doing work that I'm interested in, telling stories that I'm passionate about telling, whether I'm, whether I have a family by that point, possibly. Um, I don't know. I, I yeah. How, how old are the intentions? I'll be 46. Maybe, yeah, maybe I'll have have kids. I don't know. That's exciting. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I am going to send you you. mascara. Oh, I look forward to to trying it. (laughs) And I feel like next time you're in town, we definitely still do do need to do coffee or lunch or something. I would love that. All right. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Good to chat to you. All right. You too. Bye, everyone. Bye. 